Well, uh, years ago, while I was in Do Youth Ministry, my wife and I had two little kids, and there was the only thing I, I wanted to be, and that was resting. You know what I'm talking about? When you have two little tiny kids, and uh, you've been doing youth ministry late in the evening, my wife's been up with the kids. Now we have four kids. Now all we want to do is rest too. But the, uh, the, the, the situation with my little guys, they were so strong personality. We were like, no time, no break, no nothing. And our, one of our youth leaders came up to us and said, hey, I will give you guys a chance to get away. So they took our kids and sent us up to their, um, their timeshare, let us use that up in Big Bear. And we were so excited. You understand, we didn't have a lot of money at the time. We're still wrestling through a bunch of things. Two kids were draining our money. It was all these pieces. And we're like, we get to go away. We're going to walk by the lakeside. We're going to sit in a coffee shop and read some books. It's going to be awesome. So we get up there. We get into the timeshare. We find it. We unpack. I think we went and ate um, on our way up, so we didn't need to do that. And we just kind of get in there. And we're like, wow, we're kind of tired. Let's just, you know, kind of kick it here. And I think we went to bed early that night or something. But I think at some point, you know, I, I looked at her and said, hey, you really, you, you want to get that, that little special thing we brought out? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's get that, get that. So we pulled out that, that season of 24 we brought with us. And uh, we opened that up. And, and we're like, well, let, let's watch one. So we watched one. The next morning we woke up. And we're like, hey, let's watch another one. So we watched another one. And we had breakfast and hung out. And then at the end of that one, we said, well, let's watch another one. Nine hours later, we had uh, nearly finished half of the season uh, because we had already started some of it. But we'd come to this realization, wow, that was our first time in our lives we'd ever binge-watched anything. Any binge-watchers around here, right? You just like, you dive into an ep to this episode and the whole season's over. And now you're like waiting, you know. Binge-watching is, is kind of funny. It's kind of a modern new phenomenon. It didn't exist uh, 10 years ago, but this binge-watching reality or is, is, is there, and it's kind of funny, but binge-watching may be funny, but binge-eating isn't as funny, is it? Like, suddenly you're like, I just ate that entire cake. That's not good. Or I just had, I, I didn't, maybe some of you are more like grazers. You just don't stop when you're at a party. You don't realize how much you're eating, right? And, but then binge e e eating may not be as funny, but suddenly you move into binge drinking, and that's really not funny. And, and then you move into other binging kinds of things. We start to realize there's something with binging that maybe there's not a good part to this, even if it's binge-watching television, because somewhere in the middle of your, quote, beginning of binging, you lost control. You know you should stop playing the video game and help your child out. You know you should stop watching this show and go do something, but you don't because you just got to keep going. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I know I'm not alone uh, in talking about uh, this idea of a lack of self-control, because when we surveyed you guys at the beginning of the year, this is the number one problem at Olive Branch. We 11% uh, of us said, yeah, we feel like we're pretty good with self-control. That means the rest of us, 89%, are going like, nope, don't got that one. Uh, I kind of struggle with my mouth. I kind of struggle with my time. I kind of struggle with control. And that may be true for you, and I think I know why. Obviously, we're corona. We, we deal with traffic. You deal with fields. You deal with commuting long distances. We deal with all kinds of intensity. We're in a light speed uh, communication world. Expectations in, of speed are higher than ever. There's a sense of stress that is huge on our lives. And so there's a, there's a tendency to feel like, I, I don't got this. And so easily lose control because you're tired and you're weary and you're worn out. And I just want to talk about this today because as we're closing out this series, Wannabe, it is one of those clear gaps. I want to be control. I want to have self-control, but I don't. There is a gap between where I'm at and where I want to be. And we've been describing this person that we want to be 
in a terms of fruits. We've been looking at these things called fruits of the Spirit. What we're actually looking at is the characteristics of one Jesus Christ. And we want, as Christians, to be like Jesus. I'd even argue, if you're not a Christian, I think he's a great role model to want to be like. Because when we look at these attributes, when we look at these things, I think we're displaying the good life. We're looking at something that everybody wants, but we don't know how to get. And so we've been saying in this series, the whole time is this one sentence, that this is how you get across that gap to where, from where you want to be, is to follow the lead of the one who you want to be like. That there is the one who that we want to be like, Jesus, who is literally with you and with me, if you are a follower of Jesus, to lead you into these characteristics. Um, and, and so he, Paul has written now, uh, we've been looking at his letter to his church plants that he laid out in, in Galatia, which is uh, originally called Asia Minor, which today we call Turkey. And um, in this area, he'd planted multiple churches from pagan backgrounds, and he's been bringing this information. They're starting to get stirred up about the law, the Jewish law. They're all excited about it, and yet they know in their own lives it doesn't really lead to anything good. And he's like, hold on, time out. If you're going to run after the law, it's not going to get you back to where you want to be. It's not going to make these characteristics in you. No, don't get caught into all these things. Instead, follow the lead of the one you want to be like. He writes it this way. I say... Walk by the Spirit. In other words, walk in that relationship. If Jesus has paid off all of the, the sin debt that we've done, and he's, and he's dealt with all the law and, and done it rightly, and he's given you what you need, then, then it's about the relationship with God. And if you walk by the Spirit, by the God who's with you, you won't gratify the flesh, this mess that we create in our natural living, the binge-watching portion of our lives, Right? And at the same time, he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. No amount of, I'm not going to watch radar movies. I only watch one video every week for the rest of my life. You know, all these rules we create, and we've, we've created through the church, cultures, and all this stuff. It's like, no, no, it's not about laws and rules and do's and don'ts. This is not going to get you there. It's going to put you under slavery. And he knew. He, was, he had lived under the 600-plus commandments of the Old Testament. So he understood that rules weren't going to do a whole heck of a lot. And so he's saying, hey, listen, there's only one way forward. That is to follow the lead, to walk behind the Spirit, to be led by this one who dwells in your life, to lead you to produce these characteristics. And he describes these characteristics a few verses later. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, the production of this life with the Spirit is, is love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, who doesn't want this good kind of life? Who wants to go home and be less loving? I don't know anybody's like, I'm going to wake up this morning and just be mean and hate people. That just sounds like fun. No, we, we wake up, we want to be self-sacrificial. We love the military, and we love our first responders, and we love those who give their lives away. All of our heroes, even superheroes, have to give their life away to be considered a hero. That's love is to be self-sacrificial. We want to be joyful. Nobody wants to be a sourpuss. Even people who are sourpusses, they want to be a little happier than they are. We want to enjoy life. We want peace. We, we want everything right. We want relationships right. We want to be patient and kind and good and, and long-suffering with people so that we can treat them well and do good to others. And we want to be faithful with our words and do what we say and with our power, use it exactly. And our beauty, be careful with how we wield it. And ultimately, we want to have self-control. And so we're going to focus in on self-control because 
it's kind of the, the end. It's the capstone. You've got love, I believe, which fuels all of these and self-control, which is necessary so that these can come through. And so they're all linked together, but we're going to focus again in on self-control. We're going to look at what is self-control and kind of look at where we can see it the best. And then we're going to talk about how we cover that gap and the Spirit might lead us in that. So let's start with, you know, what is the self-control? I think a simple definition of self-control is the ability to tell yourself no. Tell yourself no. Now right there, some of you just freaked out. Like my kids just went, whoa. They're in the room. They're like, ah. And some of you did that because you remember that when your parents said no. And you're like, okay, I won't touch that. Tell your dog, no. No, you need to tell yourself, no. That's self-control. Jesus put it in, a, in an interesting frame. He, he said, if you want to follow me, here's what needs to happen. If anyone would come after me, that means if you're going to make me first and you're going to run after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, put on his orange jumpsuit like he's about to go into the chamber and, and die, and follow me. Consider your life dead, your old way dead, and put it aside and follow me. And tell yourself every single day, no. That's what denying yourself means. Oh man, I really, no. Oh, no, I'm going to follow the Spirit. And so I may say no to myself, but I'm going to say yes to the Spirit. And by saying no to me opens the door to yes to God. And so self-control is the ability to tell yourself no. Now, that in some cases, it means no at the right time. So let's clarify. What are some of those times the Bible and Jesus describes as no time? No time, first and foremost, is to tell yourself no to make the good choice in difficulty. Guys, there are going to be times in your life where things are going to be difficult. Some of you have lived through some of those times. Anybody remember what it's like to have a newborn infant? You take that baby, and it's, it could be 2 a.m. in the morning, and you hear, some of you just like freaked out right now. You're like, I have stress. Right, okay. So, because when in my family, when there was, and you heard that, it didn't stop. It started doing that you know, that little shake, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, this kid's not stopping. And you're tired. You haven't slept for like three nights straight. And you're sitting there going, I need some self-control. Because the, some, for some of you, it's not an infant going, oh, oh. it's a junior hire who's hungry going, and you're like, I need some self-control. Okay, so there are going to be difficult moments that you need to ask God to empower you with the supernatural ability not to shout, scream, shake, punch, or any other form of physical violence, period. Jesus talks about physical violence. In fact, he, he puts it in his very Jewish culture. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In the, in the Jewish culture, to be slapped on the right cheek meant somebody had to backhand you. If you had been backhanded in a culture, that was the ultimate form of dishonor and insult. When somebody had dishonored the family, you were backhanded across the face. Oh, you don't backhand a Roman soldier. You don't backhand a Gentile. You don't backhand Jewish people. No, you don't backhand anybody. Them's fighting terms. And you better believe you've gotten dishonored by somebody. You're going to get up and you're ready to fight because they're thinking this is a Roman backhanding you in the face. And Jesus is saying, nope. You just turn him the other cheek. You say, okay, have this one. And that may be harder for us to understand, but we live in California. If you want to know the seriousness of the command, just keep reading. If anyone would sue you, 
California. And take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. He says, look, in the most intense moments when somebody's going to sue you, do you have self-control? So much so that you'd be willing to pay it off and even go further. You have self-control that you're not going to retaliate when somebody smacks you across the face, but you're even willing to offer them the opportunity to do it again. Self-control in intense, difficult situations is exactly what Jesus is asking of us when we are in a moment where we could just feel everything riling up. You know those moments. Some of you are really good at this. You're in that argument. You're in that, that conversation, and, oh, that barb is ready. It is on the tip of your tongue. You've been planning it. It's about to launch, and you're going to eviscerate somebody with your words. Anybody here? Yeah, yeah, I'm not that person. I'm thinking of that great statement an hour later while I'm mulling over everything, right? I'm like, I should have said that. Anybody else there, right? Now, James, the brother of Jesus, and this is crazy. I mean, James grew up not believing Jesus was the Lord and he came after the resurrection to realize that, yes, his brother indeed was the resurrected Lord God of the universe. It's like, what in the world is this? So he becomes the leader of the church and he writes to the church and he says, hey, guys, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. And slow to anger. The old adage is God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use your ears twice as much as you use your mouth. Listen. Take it in. Understand. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And definitely slow to anger. We're not supposed to just be knee-jerk reactionaries. We're supposed to be taking it in. I'd even rephrase this for our culture to say, every person be quick to hear, slow to type. And slow to anger. Because we need to be careful with our words. We need to have self-control on the screen. You need to have self-control on your, on, on your Facebook, Instagram, you know, photo thingy that you're out there on. But the point is, self-control is necessary sometimes in intense situations when you've been insulted online, when you've been insulted by someone else and you're ready to insult back. No. Be slow, 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 slow. And listen. Don't speak. So, so saying no to yourself is super important. It also comes to say no to yourself when it comes to good things. Say, what? Good things? You're not supposed to tell yourself no to good things. You're supposed to enjoy the good things of life. That's what we, that's what we believe. And you are. You are supposed to enjoy good things. But it's an interesting world we live in. Um, and it's no different than the ancient world because um, Paul had planted a church in a, in a town called Corinth. Now, Corinth was Las Vegas of the ancient world. Kind of anything that happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And then you add a port town in, like uh, a Mexican port town kind of place, party city, and you get Corinth. That's the location. It's a port town, Las Vegas city, where anything and everything goes. And Paul plants a church right there that it grows like crazy. And in that... One of the reasons I think it grew like crazy is because they understood there was like this concepts out there of like, we don't have to live by the law. And this law is, is concluded in Jesus. Awesome. Well, in your town, in your port town, you also had people running around who were preaching other concepts. And one of them was called Epicurean philosophy. There's your big word for the day. Epicurean philosophy was basically boiled down to the Twitter slogan that we use today. YOLO, baby! You only live once. So live it up. And that was the Epicurean philosophy. Live it out, live it up, drink, eat, be merry, for tomorrow we die. And I think it boiled into some of the Corinthian thinking. And Paul's talking about it. He's saying, no, because they were yelling. And they had their own mantra. It's like, all things are lawful for me. He quotes them. And Paul says, but hold on, not all things are helpful. 
Yeah, yeah, you may be able to do everything you want, but not everything is going to help somebody by being kind to them or loving to them. It's not going to be helpful for, for forwarding their life. Yeah, you can do whatever you want, but it's not going to be loving. It's not going to be kind. It's not going to be patient. And hold on. All things are lawful for me. But, and this is the one that nails me, I will not be dominated by anything. The word there is mastered. I'm not going to have anything else be my master, my Lord, but Jesus. And suddenly right there, you, you step back and you go, what, what, what could possibly be dominating me if I'm free, if these are good things? I mean, I guess binge watching, I need to be careful with. Does it dominate me? Is my technology dominating me? Are, you, are some of you struggling with somebody at your house and all they're doing is sitting there at their phone every night and they're doing this? Does that awfully look like we're petting the thing? My precious. You know, he's just like staring. Oh, look at those feeds. It's, it's, it's kind of weird. This is exactly, is it controlling you or are you controlling it? See, don't be dominated by anything but Jesus. You know, some of us, we wake up in the morning and you swear, you're like, I'm a believer. Somebody just rose from the dead. That's crazy because that person gets out of bed and they're like, you're like, how are you? Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Some of you are freaking out because the cups are missing outside just before. You're like, I need my coffee. The pastor's going to put me to sleep. Is it you need your coffee or do you need caffeine? And, and again, these aren't things that I'm saying are bad. It's just who's ruling who here? Can you put it away? Can you, can you set that beverage aside for a time and not need it? Or do you need it? Do I need that screen? Do, do I need that video game? Do I need to play some games in order to relax? Do, and see, this is the place that I think Paul would say, hold on, yeah, it's all lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. I have one Lord, not multiple Lords. I have one Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to be free and ready to be with him. And sometimes when it comes to good things, we have to have the ability to say, nah, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to turn that sports game off because my kids need me to go play with them. Or I'm going to shut this special thing down for a bit and stop reading that book. That's a serious binge problem, I think. And we need to realize sometimes we've got to put good things aside to practice our self-control. But then there's the obvious one, right? Sometimes we need to tell ourselves no against evil desires. Call these temptations, right? Temptation lures you. It entices you in. And sometimes it's like, come look at the screen. Click on that bait. Oh, look over here. Say that really mean thing. Take in that gossip. Oh, you got to tell that story. You got to tell that story. All these different forms of temptation come flowing into it. You're tempted to yell and scream when you're in traffic or what you name it. We all have our different versions of temptation. And so what we need to do is realize we have to be able to tell ourselves no when it comes to temptation. We need to tell ourselves, no, when, I, when, I, when it's really begging me to be satisfied. And when I draw all these three different kinds of different ways that we need to have self-control, you begin to go like, who in the world can do that? that that's huge. I don't have that kind of self-control. Exactly, there's that gap. But I want to introduce to you somebody who does have it. If you will, grab Grab one of those Bibles. Open up. I want to show you um, one, of the, one of the segments from Matthew's biography of Jesus as he's writing about his recollections of what he remembers in his time with Jesus. He writes about the worst night of his life here. And, and they've just done all this stuff, right, what Danny talked about. They've been sitting at communion, and they've, they've 
just seeing Jesus say, this is my body and this is my blood. This is the new covenant. Something new started. He just told them to go love each other like Christ is going to love them. We know from, from John, another eyewitness, another one of Jesus' followers, that, that Jesus then went on to tell this big, long sermon as they're walking away. And everybody's got one question on their mind while Jesus is talking. Where's Judas? Because he had walked out earlier and he hadn't come back yet. They're, they're, and Jesus is like, come on, let's go. And they're like, go? You know, we're leaving one of them behind. So you got to know where we're going? Maybe there's a plan here. And so Jesus is talking about, you know, he's going to go away and the Spirit's going to come. They're getting more depressed. And people are looking at each other like, where are you going? We don't get this. What's going on? They climb up into this place that's common for them in this garden. It's this olive garden. It wasn't the restaurant, but it was a garden on a on the mountain of olives, Mount Olivet, and they're coming into this garden, and, and it's heavy, and they've just eaten a lot of food, and it's really depressing material, and they're just like, Jesus is one of the worst sermons you've ever given, and they want to go to sleep. Meantime, he pulls three of them aside, and he says, I'm, I'm really burdened right now. Come pray with me. Those three blokes, they fall asleep while Jesus is sweating blood, overwhelmed by what is going on. Finally, what goes over, wakes him up. They fall asleep. He, he's praying. Wakes them up, he goes praying, they fall asleep. He goes, wakes them up one final time, and his final words to them before, they, before this starts, he says, rise, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand. And so we pick up in chapter 26, beginning in verse 47. It says, while he, while Jesus was speaking, Judas, oh yeah, that guy, he came. One of the twelve, and with him... A great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And so here's Judas. He pops up. He shows up. All the guys are like, hey, Judas, hey, what's happening, bro? What's that? Did you bring the army? Oh, this must be it. And then suddenly something starts switching. They understand this isn't right. This is the very government that Jesus is supposed to be ruling that's coming to get him. Now Judas, had, the betrayer, had given them a sign saying, the one, who I, the one I will kiss is the man sees him. Now, not all these people had ever seen Jesus before, so they probably couldn't have identified him. He wasn't like on the, the latest Roman newspaper with a picture of Jesus or a wanted poster. There's none of that stuff. Jesus wouldn't have been known except for his, his teachings and the stories they told about him. Not a visual picture of Jesus. And so they have, he has to identify them, especially in the dark. And so he comes up to Jesus at once and says, Greeting, Rabbi. And he kissed him. This is crazy. Then Jesus said to him, friend. No, no, that's the wrong word, Jesus. When somebody betrays you, you don't go, friend. You say, traitor. You say, you Judas. No, he says, friend. You don't see self-control of the tongue. In an intense moment in which he's just been betrayed to the, to the officials of his government that are going to have him thrown through a monkey trial and, and destroyed because it's a false, fake setup, and he winds up destroyed. No, no, he says, friend. Almost like, one more warning, Judas, just one more, buddy. You're my friend. Do what you came to do. Then they came up. They laid hands on Jesus, not to pray for him. They literally laid hands on him to grab him and arrest him and seized him. And behold, one of those who were Jesus, we know it's Peter from, from another, uh, another of the eyewitnesses. He stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So what we see here is this like, 
Jesus is getting arrested and it's like, sing, oh no, you're not. And he attacks. This is like attacking the president's entourage. The high priest is like the president, the representative of all of Israel's power. And this is his representative. He goes after him. And it's like, here's Peter's mind. He's like, oh, this is the moment. Pulls the sword out. And in his mind, he's like, ah! And it's like all this music starts pumping. And he's attacking. And he's like thinking 300 is going to break out with all the cool CGI effects. And, and he's like, ah, swings. And he's like up again. And Jesus goes, boom. No, no, no throwback robe. No, let's do this. None of that. Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. <laughs> Clank. That's exactly how I see that. Drops it on the ground. It's rattling there. What are you talking about? For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then Jesus says one of the most mind-boggling things. While he resists the temptation of being the Messiah, the David, blood-covered, soaked Messiah, the one who is going to rise up, conquer the nations, rule, and bring about the messianic prophecies of conquest for Israel. Boom. Not tonight, buddy. Don't you think that I cannot appeal to my father? This just this, this blows my mind away. And he will at once send me more than 12 legions. Now, a legion is 10,000 Roman soldiers. You don't think he could send me 120,000 angels at my disposal? That, that whole thing of the host of heavens, the, the army of the heavens, you don't think they're not available to me at this moment? Now, that's pretty scary when you consider God sent one angel and he killed all the firstborn of Egypt. God sent one angel outside to fight off the Assyrian army. And in the night, Assyrian soldiers, 150,000 of them died outside the walls of Jerusalem. One angel. What in the world is 120,000 angels going to do? Do you not think... I couldn't end this world right now. For all you Marvel fans, do you not think I could Thanos this thing in a second? How much power is being wielded in this very moment? And in the moment of his greatest crisis, he says, nope. Don't you think? How then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber? With swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Now, I want you to see this, because there's a couple things in this that we'll come back to in a second, but Jesus would go from here, and he would be tried by his leadership called the Sanhedrin, unknown to them that one day he would be trying them in a court of final judgment. This is a frightening thought. They have him, or they they, they find some trumped-up reasons to arrest him and and sentence him and they send him off to Pilate and they manipulate Pilate with political ploys and Pilate 
willingly goes in for it, releases a murderer to keep Jesus. Jesus is whipped and flogged, has been stretched out to have his very back torn open by a cat of nine tails. Do you not think he could unleash war from heaven and comes and stands before the people, his purple robe wrapped on him, a crown of thorns on his head, and the crowds shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Do you not think drag him away, throw a cross on his back. He tarries it. He's so beat down, so torn up, so destroyed. Somebody else has to finish carrying it all the way to his crucifixion site where they would drive nine-inch nails into both, both hands, right in the wrists, right in the sides of his feet so that he would hang on a cross and he would shout as God poured out holy hell upon him, literally speaking. The damage that you and I caused, all the wrath and sin that you and I have created, every nation has created, Israel has created, everyone has created, poured onto him as he drank it full and shouted, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think nine-inch nails held him to a cross? What you are seeing is not the wonder of human ability. You're not looking at the power of Satan. You are looking at the self-control of God. He stayed, and he stayed, though, don't you think? I could have stopped this in a heartbeat. It's the self-control of God that saves us. And we don't end up in wrath. I was in Trader Joe's a few days ago. And I was standing there. I had, um, my daughter's birthday was here. And she was going to sit in the class. And they are going to have a pizza party. And she, she can't eat pizza for, for medical reasons. And so we kind of knew that. I was like, oh, this is going to be a bummer. So we, like, my wife and I, we, we signed up a card to her. And I drove over to Trader Joe's and grabbed some flowers and a little bit of chocolate. And I threw them down. I was going to get in line, right? So I'm going to bring them to her. I've only got so long till the school time ends. I'm standing there, and I walk up, and there's like tons of people in the middle of the day in Trader Joe's. I'm like, what is going on here? I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. You ever feel like that? And you're like, oh, come on, ring the bell. Ring that bell. Come on, ring that bell. Because they'll ring that bell, and a new line will open up. And you're like, ring the bell, ring the bell, ring the bell. And over here is some guy with about five things. I'm like, I'll go over. No, he's having too long of a conversation. That I've seen that. That's not going to go well. And I'm holding those flowers, I'm holding that chocolate, I'm going, come on, and then ding, bell rings, I'm like, yes, and I start heading over there, and he goes, ma'am, I'll help you, and I'm like, she has 9,000 things, <laughs> and I'm standing there behind this line, I'm going, come on, come on, come on, come on, I gotta go, I gotta go, and now I'm starting to use telepathy, right, move, move, stop talking, don't you hear your credit card is dinging, take it out, take it out, take it out, come on, come on, come on, come on. Now, the only reason I didn't start going, can I please go, is because I knew I was going to preach this message on self-control. And so I'm sitting here going like, holding these flowers, doing this thing. Finally, I get there. I'm like, yeah, thank you, thank you. And she's like looking at me like, oh, this, this is so cute. You're going to do this for something. I'm like, goodbye. And I just leave. I can't have self-control in line at Trader Joe's. How far we are. Because you know the problem for me, and I believe the problem for all of us is, is that we lose self-control most often when we desire other control. When I want to control all of you, man, I'm out of control. When I want to control my child, stop it. That's when I lose control. When I want to control the situation in Trader Joe's, that's when I'm losing control. And see, Jesus never lost control because he didn't control anybody. Don't you think he could have Jedi powered his way out of that thing? Judas is like, 
hi, you aren't going to kiss me. I'm not going to kiss you. And he just walked away. God didn't pull the God card. Jesus didn't pull the I've got power over you card. Why? Because Jesus understood something about self-control. We want self-control, and when we want control of others, we lose it. But we really lose self-control, honestly, when we forget who's in control. A couple verses in there that I didn't highlight on purpose because what Jesus says is that if I don't do this, how will the scriptures be fulfilled? In other words, if I take control, I've gotten off my father's game. He's got control here. And Jesus understood that when it's in God's hands and it's in his control, yeah, it may not go through great places, but ultimately, suddenly you realize something about Jesus. It wasn't just self-control that kept him on the cross. It's self-control that pulled him out of the grave. He rose himself from the dead. That's crazy. Control. Pull that one off at your funeral. And people will follow you too. And Jesus did it. Rose from the dead. Because he understood who was in control. He knew what was going on. Sometimes I wonder how many people have I messed up their salvation by my loss of control? How many times have I misrepresented Jesus when he wanted me to represent him because he was nudging me in that direction, but I lost control because I wanted to control something else. Self-control is so central to this, so, so piece of this. We see this gap, and yet uh, here's the thing. That gap is not covered by me controlling myself alone. No, that very self-control that kept Jesus on the cross, that very self-control that kept him from just going, God, send him now. That very self-control that said, it's time, and he rose from the dead. That very self-control lives and dwells in you and me who follow him. Let that sink in for a second. That dwells in you by his spirit. The very power of the self-controlled God has granted you self-control. Now that's weird because I thought if I had self-control, I would have it naturally because I'm me and I should have control over me, right? Nope, that's weird. I have to be given it from outside. The one who is fully, perfectly in self-control gives you and me the ability to be controlled and control ourselves. And so God enables you to control yourself. He's like the guidance system in your car. He's going to tell you, turn right. And you may go left because you didn't listen. He's going to, uh, suddenly you're going to hear it recalculating. God's going to be on you to guide you back. And it's a matter of you taking the self-control, stepping in, moving forward. You need to understand that God's there to lead you, but you've got to first surrender to the Spirit. When you think you have control, you need to go, whoa, wait a minute, God, what do you want here? I'm going to surrender because I'm being tempted. I'm going to surrender because I really want to do this good thing, but there's something better to do. I need to surrender because, honestly, I'm in a tough spot right now, and I may say something I'm going to regret later. I may do something I don't want to explain to my wife. I may do something that later, when I'm married, I don't want to have to lie about. And so when we sit there, we need to surrender to the Spirit. And then we need to keep, keep listening for His help. Notice, many of the times in temptation, we could it didn't have to overtake us. He says, no temptation is overtaking you. That's not common to man. You're not alone when it comes to temptations. God is, he says, no, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You say, time out. I have totally been tempted and tried beyond my ability. Oh, really? 
I believe you. So have I. But it wasn't God's fault. With the temptation, he'll provide the way of escape. What happened is I didn't take his way of escape. And so you know what happened? I tempted myself beyond my ability. God's not going to try me beyond what he's beyond what I, what I can handle. He's going to give me the way out. It's when I decide to ignore his way out, I'm going to get tried beyond my ability. I'm going to get crushed beyond what I can endure. But God doesn't want you to be crushed. He gives you the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. God wants you to endure. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to have that self-control. He offers you that opportunity. We just have to take it. You see, we have to use the power God gives you to control yourself. Do you know how much power is in a muscle car sitting in a garage? A lot. Potentially. But not actually. There's no power a muscle car has until you turn the thing on, you put it into gear, and you hit the gas. The power's ready, but you have to take the step. The power's present in you, but you have to take the step. The, the out is there, but you have to take it, and he will give you the power to do it. Remember that Philippians verse from week one. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work, both to give you the will and to enable you to take it. You need a surrender receive his desire to move, and then step in it. Too many of us are going, no, no, God, I got this one. No, you got no self-control if he doesn't give it to you. That's the lie. I got it. No, you don't. God's going, oh, yeah, yeah. that guy again. And that's exactly my struggle and your struggle. We got to surrender. We got to take it in and receive it. We got to act on it. And guess what? Sometimes when you hear him, he may actually tell you to take a nap. Say, what? Yeah, amen, right? Uh, woo, we're going to do that right now. Some of you, you just woke up from your nap. I hope it was good. You missed a good sermon. Um, but look, regular re get, regularly get good rest. The Spirit of God wants to lead you into that because you know what? Uh, uh, I think one, one guy wrote in his book, I don't remember where it was, but 70% of good all discipleship is, is getting eight hours of sleep. You know how out of control we are because we're just tired? Do you know Jesus would lead you to take a nap? You know what I know? Jesus took naps. Man, busy in ministry. Next thing you know, he's like conked out on a boat. Waves are crashing. Rain is falling. Disciples are screaming. And he's... They wake him up. They're like, what are you doing napping right now? Don't you understand? Napping's evil. Get up. Don't you think we're dying? He's like, wait, whoa, whoa. You know what? Everything just needs to calm down. And it all did. It all took a nap. And I think he went back to his nap. Jesus, one time, in the midst of all of their tension and turmoil and all their ministry, says, guys, let's get away. We need to take a break and get some rest. You know, we as Americans, we abandoned rest a long time ago. And it's going to fray your spiritual life. Hurry and trouble and all this stuff comes. Because honestly, we need some rest. And it's good to get rest because it's good for you and it's good for your children and your spouse and your friends and your coworkers. You'll have more self-control because God's there and you can go, I'm awake, I'm aware. That's a problem. I'm going to go this way. He may lead you to take a nap. He may lead you to practice some fasting. Jesus put it this way. He said, when you fast, that's all I need to say right there. It's not if you fast, it's when you fast. And fasting is not always food. 
You know, if you wonder if coffee has got you or video games has got you or maybe movies have got you or entertainment or maybe you're just my preciousing that phone way too much, fast it and see whether you can handle it. When you fast a good thing, it, it will call you to see if you're too tethered to it and whether it's dominating you or you're dominating. It's just a way of self-control. And the Spirit may lead you to say, fast this, set this aside for a time. And when you do that, bend into the Lord. Take that time and connect with Him because He may say something like, hey, go to James Project. And you go, wow, I can do good when I'm not watching an hour of television. I do an hour of good. Go across the street, meet that guy over there. Hey, clean up your room. It would make your parents super happy. And suddenly you do a good because God, you're listening to God's lead and something's changed in you because you're not distracted by what's dominating you, even though it's good. Fasting is a great thing. Here's the one thing about fasting. Jesus says, don't whine. I really think that's what he's saying. Anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. The Pharisees were great at showing off all their righteousness. He says, just don't do that. Don't whine about it and don't show it off. And be like, hey guys, I'm fasting my screens. <laughs> hey, I, real quick, you will never see me again because I'm about to fast you all. Posted the last post. You know, don't do that. No, don't toot your horn. But fast. When you do, you'll discover growth as he develops self-control in you. The beauty of as you develop self-control, as you follow the Spirit, is that the other fruits begin to follow. When you're in control of yourself, you'll produce the other fruits because you need to be in control when you, when you love somebody. To love your enemy requires self-control. To be gentle with your power or your beauty requires self-control. When you're going to step into a scenario and you're not going to use your tongue in the wrong way, it takes self-control. And it takes you to be connected with your Lord and walking with your Lord to produce those things of self-control. And that's, that's why we wanted to give you guys one small thing. As we sum up this wannabe series, you need to follow the leader, the one you want to be like. He'll give you this, the love, the, in, the juice to live these things out, to care for people, that will give you the power to do that and self-control. And so what we want to do is give you guys this little tool. It, it, yeah, it's fun. Um, got this idea for, I've seen these little magnets where it's like, I feel like today, and it's got all these little emotion faces on it. Seen that? So when you fast coffee, you can permanently hold it over miserable. That's fine. But in this one, it says, Lord, I want to be, and you just mark, I want to be more loving today. I, you know, I want to be more, I want to be good today. Lord, uh, today I want to be gentle. Today I want to be self-controlled. Whatever it is, you're just taking that and you're asking the Lord to give you strength. And asking God to say, Lord, today I just want to be this. And as you do that as a family, you can focus on that, uh, that fruit. You can listen for his guidance in that thing. And you'll discover others that the fruits start to build as well. It's just a simple tool to keep you reminded that the gap between who we are and who we want to be is not filled with a bunch of rules. And it's not filled with just your own personal desires. It's filled with a relationship with God who is these very things, places them in you, and leads you to become them. And I pray that as you go from here, you will continue to learn to follow the lead of our Lord, who you want and I want to be like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is just a, a, an amazingly mind-boggling thing to know how in control you are and that it's your control that has loved us so, so greatly. Where you could have had any, any chance to just destroy us, you didn't. You chose to love us. And so God, as we go from here today, 
And as we begin to walk in following after you, we pray that you would teach us and lead us, prompt us, and help us to surrender so we take that step and be after you. I pray this in Jesus' name.